certain private nonprofits are eligible for federal funding to recover, maybe build back their building. If they are providing critical services, things like child care, community shelters, and that sort of thing, that's something that FEMA recognizes as a critical service in the community. And they will help by providing funding to rebuild those facilities. And that's where the private nonprofit can really take advantage of mitigation funding. You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats, from severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where we discuss insights and ideas for how to protect your most valuable asset, your people. I'm your host, Peter Steinfeld, and this week's episode is part two of a three-part series on hurricane preparedness. Last week, we spoke with Melissa Huffman of the National Weather Service, and this week, I'm excited to be joined by Millie Starlipper. Millie is an expert in disaster mitigation, response, and resiliency, as well as emergency management. Millie, thanks for being here. How are you? Thank you. I'm good. Thanks for having me here. Well, I really appreciate you joining me today. And our focus is going to be on community recovery and disaster mitigation strategies as they relate to hurricanes. But before we begin, can you tell our listeners just a little bit about your background and your career to set the context? Sure. Yeah. So my background is in science, actually. I have two degrees in geology, a passion of mine, which led to some work in climate science and public communications. And that's kind of what led me into working in disasters. As you probably know, a lot of the current climate change that we're experiencing is most dramatically felt in disasters. And so that's something that I'm passionate about working on helping society and communities adapt to and try to set themselves up to be more ready to absorb those impacts better in the future. Okay, fantastic. Well, when you work with an organization or a community about their approach to hurricane mitigation, what is your process for identifying the key challenges? Yeah, so a lot of communities, and I would say states have really well set up and researched hazards that their communities are prone to. And that's a perfect place to start trying to figure out how to mitigate for those impacts. So I would say the first thing to do when I am talking to somebody about their disaster mitigation is to determine what their impacts are, what their most frequent disasters are in their area. So that's the first thing. And then from there, my work really is thinking all about the infrastructure because that's the hard and fast ways that the disasters will create issues for humans. Yes, <laughs> humans absolutely. can often move out of the way, hopefully if they're getting their evacuation notices and paying attention. But that being said, there's a lot of disasters that happen where you can't, you don't know ahead of time, but the infrastructure is how people feel those like long-term effects. So that's the next thing that I think about is, okay, what does the facility look like? Where is it located? What kind of impacts are going to affect that particular building or area. So a lot of time with hurricanes, of course, it's wind, high winds, wind-driven rain into buildings, and then flooding, which is actually one of the most frequent 
disasters felt around the world because it can happen inland or at the coast and it can happen at any time of year. So that's something that's always really good to mitigate because most likely it's going to help you in hurricane season and off hurricane season. Yeah, I remember specifically Hurricane Harvey a few years back. I just, I don't know what I was thinking, but we drove into it and I spent that week in Houston. Oh my goodness. (laughs) We literally couldn't leave. I mean, it was, it took about four days after the main part of the storm subsided before we could find a way out of the entirety of the city of Houston. It was literally surrounded by floods. I mean, there was no, no way to get out. So tell me about that. How do you work with a community to make sure that they aren't, aren't going to be affected by that and they can still get in and out of their area? Yeah, that's a really tough issue. Something that we talk about in emergency management a lot, and you might know this, is if there is an issue in a particular area, you have to assume that there will be no federal aid for the first 72 hours. And that's because not only does it take time to move resources around, there's also a lot of obstructions usually with flood or maybe roads were washed out or debris is now blocking routes. So we always hope that there will be a quicker response, but that's kind of like the rule of thumb that emergency managers use that there will be no outside help for 72 hours. So as a citizen or a business owner, I think that's a good thing to keep in mind. A lot of people feel very strongly that the federal government or government in general is responsible for notifying people and moving them out of harm's way at times like these. And you have to remember that there's so many people that it's impossible to get down to the individual level. A lot of times, you know, they try and they'll knock on doors and they'll send out the troops to get people out of harm's way, but it's really up to the individual citizen and the individual business to make sure that they're keeping track of what's going on around them and setting themselves up to be able to make those movements quickly. So like packing your go bag and all all of that is really important. Now, in your work with nonprofit organizations, what are some of the biggest issues they face in terms of hurricane recovery? So I've worked with nonprofits in the past and the ones that I work with in particular are usually helping with response. So a lot of the challenges that they have faced are determining who and where their services are needed. There's a, an interesting ecosystem that the nonprofits live in because emergency management really falls to government entities, but governments could not possibly do all of the work themselves. So they really do depend on nonprofits a lot to get aid to the people who need it. And there is a certain amount of information that governments are not allowed to pass on to private companies like nonprofits. So nonprofits have to do a lot of information seeking on their own, which includes going to the media outlets and understanding what's happening on the ground. But also I found that they use social media a lot. And this is one way that technology has been really helpful to the emergency management you know, field, nonprofits and others who even the state agencies monitor social media, Twitter, Facebook, Nextdoor, all of those kinds of apps to determine what kind of issues are arising, what people are posting and how to get their services or their resources to those areas. So it's been really interesting, but in recovery, which is where a lot of the mitigation happens, which is what I do, certain private nonprofits are actually eligible for federal funding to recover, maybe build back their building, 
if they are providing critical services, things like, I think like child care, community shelters and that sort of thing. That's something that FEMA recognizes as a critical service in the community. And they will help by providing funding to rebuild those facilities. And that's where the private nonprofit can really take advantage of mitigation funding. And that is additional funding that they can use to maybe add, you know, impact resistant windows to their buildings, include hurricane straps and things like that, where it will protect their building against further damage down the road. So it sounds like the the two biggest things are communication, which is always a challenge for anyone in a hurricane or any kind of disaster or emergency, and then funding. So that's interesting. Okay. Well, speaking of technology, in a previous position, I understand you partnered with graphic information systems specialists to develop a new way to evaluate flood risks after Hurricanes Florence and Michael. Why was there a need for a new system? And what did you and your team discover? Yeah, that was a really cool project that I worked on. There was a lot of GIS involved. And basically what it ended up doing was notifying facilities managers that their facility or their location may be impacted by an event that's coming their way. So either a hurricane, or it could have been different things like high water events, things like that. So the need arose because, you know, when you shut down for any period of time, you're losing money, right? And then as far as operations goes, even if your route is crossing an area, so you don't have a location in a certain place, but you're transferring goods from one place to another. If there's a hurricane that's coming through or whatever it is, you have to work around that or else your clients are going to be out of their product or you're going to be losing money in some way. So that was how it started from that need. And then what we ended up doing was retrofitting that service and providing it as basically a donation to some private nonprofits in the area. And what they were able to do with that is kind of like what I was referring to before, they could pinpoint what areas would be affected by this disaster and then kind of set themselves up to provide services to that area ahead of time. And the beauty of it was that it was an automatic alert. So we all know like our days get busy and disasters are important to track, but we can't always be actively tracking them or else we wouldn't do anything else with our time, right? That's where technology is growing and It's a wonderful way for technology to serve us because the human mind can only take so much attention for certain things. So unless you want to dedicate like multiple staff people to just watching dashboards, which is something that happens too, having automatic alerts is really, really handy. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, in the middle of an emergency, especially you're dealing with real on the ground type stuff and you just need someone to come knock on the door and tell you something's changed or there's something that needs your attention when it actually happens. You don't want to just sit there and stare at it all day long. That Your time is too valuable to be spent elsewhere. Well, I mean, speaking of mitigation and your experience is hurricane mitigation and recovery work, something that really should happen year round or are these efforts only a focus during hurricane season? Yeah, so a lot of, you know, the government planning cycle is long. And so it happens all year round. I think most governments run like a five-year planning cycle. So it it does get attention from the government perspective. But I think from the public perspective, maybe for businesses as well, it's definitely a shorter attention span. And it really does center around hurricane season. And that's obviously what we see as well with media reminding us about those things as well. So a great practice 
for any business or private nonprofit or citizen would be to have those regular, you know, housekeeping reminders for themselves about making sure go bag is packed and making sure you have your medications list and all of that year round, because even if it's not hurricane, it could be anything and that will still serve you. I think a really great thing about what comes out of a disaster time is that you make those connections that maybe you wouldn't in a normal day. You have to call people you never talked to before and ask them questions about, you know, logistics and moving people around and changing the way your roots go or whatever it is. And that it's a relationship that you really want to keep open year round. So making sure you're just keeping up with those people, knowing if they leave, who's taking their place, things like that will be a really great way to keep that hurricane preparedness and mitigation for your business or for yourself, an active thing instead of just immediately after the event or during an event. Yeah, I think you make a really good point, which is a lot of the work you do in preparing for hurricanes or fill in the blank of the name of the disaster, it's not really mutually exclusive. Everything you do to prep for hurricanes isn't solely built around that and you can't use it elsewhere. It's probably like an 80-20 rule. So if you just get in the mode of preparing for disasters in general and then spend the extra 20% of the time fixating on just that particular incident, it would really go a long way, I think mentally for a lot of organizations to realize it's time well spent. Absolutely, yeah. What what you talk about is called at FEMA all hazards planning. So the idea that whatever you do, it's going to help you in some way down the road, even if it's not for the exact thing you're thinking. Yeah, without a doubt. Well, coming back to technology a bit, because you mentioned it before being so important, in your opinion, what role does technology play in helping your clients mitigate or recover from a hurricane? I think technology touches all parts of emergency management. And if it doesn't, it should. There's so many ways that it can help us. So I did talk a little bit about social media and how helpful it can be to understand what's happening at the ground level, especially if you're at, say, a central headquarters or location that's off-site. So you have an office, you know, a different part of the country or whatever it is, you can still track what's happening there, even if communications are cut off or anything like that. There's going to be a lot of really helpful technology that shows us, you know, more about hazards and how they're changing with the way that our climate is changing. And so I know that NOAA does a really great job with this. They are constantly updating their tools. They have a really great seal of a rise viewer and things like that. So if you have a business or something on the coast, you can go to their website and, you know, toggle the switch and see exactly, you know, at different scenarios, how far the sea may come in. And you have to always remember with hurricanes, that's going to be more dramatic and it can affect you even if we're not at that standard sea level rise time. So that's going to be really helpful. I encourage everyone to go see what NOAA has to offer. With that in mind, can you give us a case study or maybe just an example of an organization or community that handled hurricane mitigation and recovery very well? You know, what made their situation successful? Yeah, I think to be honest, a lot of the ones who are doing it well right now, it's because they've seen it before and it happens to them often. And so it's not something that they visit on an infrequent basis. You know, a lot of recovery takes years and years to build back and to get back to where you were before the event. So for a lot of the communities, maybe on the coast in the Southeast, they probably are thinking about hurricanes a lot 
more. And so I have found that a lot of those communities are doing a lot better with their mitigation. And I think we all have a lot to learn from them, actually. Someplace like where I live, which is a little bit inland, you know, it's like two hours inland. We kind of think that we're safe from a lot of hurricane damage because we're not on the coast, but it's really not true. There's riverine flooding you know, when hurricanes come through, it dumps a lot of rain. And if you live near a river, no matter how far you are from the coast, you can see a lot of flooding that lasts, you know, for a week or two after. So I think that's something that we can all learn from those communities that are experiencing these things more frequently. Yeah, it goes beyond that too. I remember in Hurricane Harvey, I finally escaped Houston and I went all the way as far as Dallas and they didn't have any gas. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, zero storms, blue skies, but you know, no flooding, but no gasoline. And then because of that, no other products in the stores. It was, it was pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. A lot of the communities that aren't seeing maybe the immediate impacts, we'll see these secondary impacts. A lot of it is from people evacuating. So probably a lot of the people that were coming from Houston also went to, went to Dallas and picked up gas and picked up things. But yeah, it's true. There's a lot to think about, you know, having those people that you can stay with in other areas is also really great to keep in mind. Cause like, if you're going from one community to another, you're not the only one. Yeah. No, exactly. Well, we typically close out each episode by asking our guests to give the listeners just a, a piece of advice or a best practice they can use to make a difference in their organization. So what do you recommend for any organization to help them prepare for or mitigate risk for a hurricane? Yeah, thank you for asking this. I think it's so important for people to remember that they can mitigate at any time. They don't have to do it right after a disaster or right before a disaster. So if you have locations where there's facilities, I think it's really important when you're doing kind of routine maintenance to understand. You can always think about adding impact resistance. You can always think about, you know, adding extra fasteners to your gutters. That's another good one for wind damage to ensure that it's harder for wind to rip gutters off. Also things like any external or exterior components like HVAC systems in really high wind or hurricane situations, they can actually, you know, rip off and become windborne hazards. So you can actually, they have security cages that go around them and you can fasten those real well and kind of mitigate that issue. And then the other thing I really love is to think about flooding kind of as a more broad issue, not directly related to maybe your parcel, but maybe at a neighborhood scale. So say if the water from your parcel drains off of your parcel, just find maybe it pools at your neighbors. And so really thinking about how you can increase maybe the permeability of your parking lot or include more like kind of rain gardens or green infrastructure, like green spaces that will help soak up that water and could help your neighbor, which helps your whole community. No, those are great. It's all about just like, look for the incremental improvements that'll make you just that much more resilient and then see the forest for the trees. Don't get so fixated on just your area because 
the surrounding ecosystem will absolutely have an impact on you if they're being negatively impacted. Absolutely. Okay, wonderful. Well, Millie, thank you so much for being on the show today. We appreciate your time, experience, and advice in this area. And if anyone listening has follow-up questions or just wants to connect with you, what's the best way for them to find you out there? Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's been really fun to talk to you. I have a website, milliestarlipper.com. You can find me there. And of course, I'm on LinkedIn. But I appreciate you know, you all asking these questions. And I hope that the people listening find a couple of nuggets that they can act on. Wonderful. Well, thanks again. And to the rest of you out there, thanks again for taking time to join us on the Employee Safety Podcast. And we hope you'll join us again next week for the conclusion of our three-part hurricane series, where we'll speak with Coca-Cola Bottling United about how to protect your business and people during a hurricane. And remember, nothing ever goes 100% according to plan in an emergency. So communication is incredibly important. If you can't communicate, you can't recover. Until next time. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate, connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.